I called Ben Sparks this week. He is pastor emeritus of Second Pres. And I was curious about a story that I had heard from my father when he served on a committee with Ben in Montgomery Presbytery in the late 1960s. Someone said this morning, you can't be in the old Southern church and not know one another. It just, it's sort of true. So Ben and Annette had just returned from two years in Scotland when in 1968, Ben accepted the call to serve as the director of the Roanoke's Presbyterian Community Center. Ben shared that they are now building a new center which will be named for him and for Ted Ehrlich, its founding director. And that, though that is another story, I rejoice that there are thousands upon thousands of children, youth, and adults whose lives have been transformed through that center. Now, Dad was on the Committee on Ministry for Montgomery Presbytery and on their search team for a young man who was being interviewed as a candidate for the Presbyterian ministry. This person was to work with Ben at the center located in an older, more impoverished part of Roanoke. As they looked down the street awaiting the candidate's arrival, a massive BMW motorcycle thundered into the parking lot. They wondered what this biker wanted, but their eyes were still searching the street for this new young seminarian. The biker removed his helmet and a brown ponytail just came cascading down his back towards his blue jeans. The committee was on edge as to what he wanted, and I'm sure Ben was watching closely because he knew what was about to happen. Dad shared with me that one of the women on the search committee later said that she thought this man might be a hell's angel. <laughs> Hi, he said to the group. I'm Ben Caston. I just arrived from Union Theological Seminary in Richmond. It is good to meet you. Several of them, including my father, just stared in disbelief. I know the Presbytery struggled as to whether or not Doug with his long hair and blue jeans would be a right match for Presbyterian ministry in Roanoke. This young man who grew up in a quite conservative Christian and Missionary Alliance church definitely was not what the Presbytery expected. But Doug impressed them as he joined Ben in providing wonderful outreach and service to the overlooked and underserved children of God within the city of Roanoke. Have you ever made first impressions of a person that are hard to let go? Have you ever judged a book by its cover? We are prone to accept or reject people based on their outward appearance. And I am eternally grateful that God does not do that. God looks at the heart. Do you ever wonder what the disciples felt as they experienced Jesus of Nazareth? Who was this man who had crowds flocking to him? And what was it about Jesus that made grown men drop their fishing nets and follow? What was it about Jesus that led women to ask deep and discerning questions and to be inspired by his presence? Was he really that different from the other religious leaders of his day? 
actually Jesus was. You see, the Jewish leaders of that day wanted to judge a book by its cover. Certainly no one expected the Messiah to come from lowly Nazareth, that insignificant, what another word for insignificant is podunk, but I thought if I used that it might, okay, podunk town. This podunk town was definitely an unfit place for the Messiah. You had to go through Samaria to get to Nazareth. The leadership didn't really know that Jesus was actually born in Bethlehem of Judea, fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy found in the book of Micah. Certainly no one expected the Messiah to be so young and rugged and a lowly carpenter. No way. This man is definitely not the Messiah. He would have at the very least studied under Gamaliel or attended one of the private Jewish schools. A splinter-scarred carpenter with a northern accent? Not on your life. To top that off, when Jesus came along, old Zebedee reported that his sons James and John dropped their fishing nets, walked away from the boat, and followed Jesus. What was Zebedee to do now? His own livelihood was at risk. Certainly, certainly this man is not the Messiah, the synagogue's committee on ministry thought. We better keep our eye on him. Mark chapter 1 verse 21 says, The disciples and Jesus went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus entered the synagogue and began to teach. So what happens next? What happens with this renegade preacher who comes into town like a long-haired BMW motorcycle-riding hippie? Well, here's what happens next. When Jesus opens his mouth to teach, the people are absolutely astonished. Verse 22 says, The people were astounded at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, unlike the teachers of religious law. Now, Peter Marshall, the Scottish preacher who served as chaplain of the United States Senate from 1947 until his untimely death in 1949, Peter once said about sermons, and I'm not going to do it in his Scottish brogue, I promise. I am growing more and more aware, he said, that all too often we preachers aim at absolutely nothing and we hit it. Today, I want to aim at something, and I want to hit it. And what is it? I want to aim at the fact that Jesus of Nazareth, son of Mary and Joseph, born in Bethlehem, had authority in word and deed, and he still has authority for us today. Jesus teaches the people with authority, so his words are authoritative. And then he casts out unclean spirits with authority, so his deeds are authoritative. What what is authority? It can mean either the right to do something or the power to do something. It can mean both the right and the power together. We refer to law enforcement officers as the authorities. They have the right and the power 
to enforce the law. John Harbaugh of the Baltimore Ravens, Andy Reid of the Kansas City Chiefs, Kyle Shanahan of the San Francisco 49ers, and Dan Campbell of the Detroit Lions have authority. They have the right and the power as head coaches of the final four NFL teams to coach their team's players. Veteran referee Bill Vinovich and the officiating crew for Super Bowl 58 have authority. They have the right and the power to officiate the game on February the 11th in Las Vegas. When I was refereeing high school boys uh, soccer match one day in Augusta County, I heard a player behind me shout, F you. And I don't have to fill that in. I blew the whistle. Everyone froze. And then I turned around and there were six players staring at me, three from each team. One of the boys was a member of the church where I was serving as pastor. I had no idea which one of them said the words. But I stared at them. And I said, one of you said that. I don't know which one, but I do know that I am giving every single one of you a yellow card. And do you know what happens if you get a second yellow card? You get a red card. And if I have to give you a red card, you have to leave the stadium. And we'll talk about whether you can even play in next week's game. Do you understand me? And they were... Of course, the coaches were yelling from the side, ref, get the game going again. I looked at them like, don't you do that. I have a red card I can use on you too. And then the player, I said, do you understand me? And they said, yes, sir. I said, you all are great players. I am loving refing you. Do your job and I will do mine. Let's play again and play fair, safe, and let's have fun. And I dropped the ball and the game restarted. That's rights and power afforded to a soccer referee. I've not been able to use it with a church session, but <laughs> it's not that I haven't gone home wishing I could. So what, what right and power does Jesus have? What authority does this cart and cabinet crafter have he isn't a certified biblical scholar like the scribes. They are graduates of seminary. The Jewish equivalent of our committee on ministry had approved them. The scribes were the authorized doctors of God's law. When they spoke, the people were supposed to listen. So what right does Jesus have to embarrass them publicly by teaching with authority? What right? Annabelle read it from Deuteronomy 18. Moses says that God will send another prophet who will come from among the Jews. The Lord said to Moses, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their own people. I will put my words in the mouth of the prophet who shall speak to them everything that I command. Anyone who does not heed the words that the prophet shall speak in my name, I myself will hold accountable. And he was speaking, of course, of Joshua, who would be the leader after Moses. But it was also a prophetic word applying to Jesus. What right 
does Jesus have? He is the prophet about whom Moses spoke. God's very words come off of the lips of Jesus. Words like, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened for you. No greater love can you have than this, that you lay down your life for a friend. Go and sin no more. Peace be with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. The greatest commandment, the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Upon these two commandments rest all of the law and the prophets. The interesting part about our gospel text for today is that it is not what Jesus teaches that is astounding. It is how he teaches He teaches as one who has the right and the power, who has the authority to teach. I know there is a place for biblical scholarship. It is not lost on me that we often have seminary professors and presidents in the room as I am preaching. And I am so thankful, I am so grateful for the long list of biblical scholars that they represent. I continue to learn from them and from their gifts and their scholarship, but I do recall going to a continuing education event about 20 years ago, and over several days we listened to four hours of lectures from a prominent Reformed theologian. Most of what he had to say could have been summed up in two paragraphs. Now, The meticulous detail in his writing and in his lecturing is what he was expected to provide to this group of gathered preachers. We need present-day biblical interpreters. And preachers are biblical interpreters. But when we are tempted to think that we have reached the zenith of human understanding and that God is calling us to impart our deep, profound wisdom to a weak and weary world. And I'm looking at myself when I say this. Preachers and professors desperately need a fresh dose of Jesus. He teaches with authority. His teaching is clear and concise and convicting. And Jesus' authority is demonstrated not only by his words, but by his deeds. He casts out unclean spirits who, not being bound to this world, recognize Jesus. And they cry out that he is the Son of God, the Holy One of God. His deeds of making the blind see and the deaf hear and the lame leap and the dead rise are done with the full authority of God. The disciples and those standing around them in the Capernaum synagogue say, What is this? A new teaching with authority? A new teaching. The Greek word here is not neos for new. It, that means new in the sense of a recent time, like we get a new car, or we build a new house, or we get a new cell phone. The actual word is kainos, which means new in the sense of something unprecedented, something previously unknown, new in quality, a fresh development. Jesus' 
new teaching was fresh and exciting and convicting. Why? Because he was and continues to be the authoritative word of God in the flesh, incarnate. It is not only what Jesus teaches, but who the teacher is. J.B. Phillips' translation of Mark chapter 1, verse 28 reads, And Jesus' reputation spread like wildfire throughout the Galilean district. The early disciples in their first steps with Jesus are confronted with who he is, someone new, unprecedented in his authority. And they have to decide if they believe that he is truly the Holy One of God, the anointed Christ, the Messiah. My friends, I hope with God's help, I hope with God's help that I've aimed at something today and hit it. What have I aimed at? It is this. We have to decide if we believe that Jesus is the Holy One of God. If we are going to let Jesus speak and act with authority in and through us, we must believe who He is. The question for all of us is, do we believe Jesus is the Holy One of God, the Christ, the one who came with the authority to change the world? Do we? Let us pray. Take thou ourselves, O Lord, heart, mind, and will. Through our surrendered souls, thy plans fulfill. We yield ourselves to thee, time, talents, all. We hear and henceforth heed thy sovereign call. Amen.